Blog Talk Radio. I own it, I did that, not proud that that was me, and when I face it, I take back a little dignity, not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from power. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. It's our first show of 2017, and I wanted to make sure it was a good one. After uh, being silent on the air for so long, I thought I'd better come back with a bang. And who better to bring back on the air than the one person that I get more emails about, the founder of the Bubble Hour and a voice that I know you all know and love and miss very much, our dear friend, Ellie. Hi, Ellie. Hi, Jean. It's so great to be back. Thank you so much. Uh, so good to hear your voice. We've all missed you so much. I've missed you guys, too. Yeah. So we like. I want to get right into asking you the questions that I'm getting emails from people saying, where'd you go? How are you? Is everything okay? When are you coming back? Blah, 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 blah. So we're just going to move through some of those questions that are getting sent in. So first things first, the burning question that everyone wants to know, Ellie, are you okay? Well, I want to start by saying it's just unbelievably touching to me that people take the time to email about me and ask about me. And it's definitely something that you find in the recovery community that really makes us special and unique. And I've gotten a few people that have reached out to me directly as well. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you everybody for your concern and your um, inquiries and things like that. And I am okay. I'm doing really well. It's been um, a challenging couple of years in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, and it, I, we can get into more detail in a, a lot of this um, depending on where the conversation goes and how it progresses. But Back in 2014, I think as most of you guys remember, I had a relapse that required, that not required, but really made me realize that I wanted to go to longer-term treatment. And so I went to a 90-day um, all-women's treatment facility, and it was an absolutely life-changing experience, and it really um, sort of helped me on a, an inner journey of exploration about a lot of the things that were kind of behind my alcoholism. You know, I, I always sort of believed that, I drank because I was an alcoholic. Like to me, finding a reason why I drank seemed like kind of a shortcut or a, I don't know, a scapegoat or something. And, and that I um, really hadn't been willing to do some of the harder work to dig deeper and look at some of the issues that might have led to my, um, my alcoholism, even though I do believe there's a biological root as well. But the environmental and, and mental health issues that were definitely making it difficult for me to stay sober. Um, and so, and I know that I took a bit of a hiatus, um, certainly while I was in treatment and then for a while after. And one of the areas that I was looking at and as I looked at my overall recovery was the work that I had been doing in recovery advocacy and my own blog and the bubble hour and a lot of the things that were um, so incredibly important to me and still are, but may have been serving as kind of a deflection from my own individual recovery to be involved in other people's recovery journeys instead of my own. Um, so I took some time before coming back to 
um, the recovery advocacy world. And even then, um, the space that I was really most interested in being involved in was this podcast, because I think it's an incredible medium. And I think it reaches a ton of people. And I think that it's um, a real asset to the work that we do. And it's a little less interactive for me as an individual. When I'm blogging, I'm telling my story, and it's very focused on me. And um, I kind of lost myself in the kind of public persona. I think it's impossible to be in the public eye and not sort of develop some kind of ego-based persona, Um, not necessarily in an arrogant way, but just in a very me-centric way that I didn't find very healthy for me. And I found these podcasts because they're topic-driven and story-driven and not revolving around me to be um, still very additive to my recovery. And um, forgive me if I don't have the time frame, right? But I came back to the Bubble Hour and we did um, some episodes. And I um, things around the time that I left treatment, um, I got divorced or separated, and my that was a really really trying time. And it was a time of deep personal exploration. I had had a DUI that required me to lose my license for over a year. So um, I just, uh, I took about a 12 to 18 month pause where I just really focused on myself, couldn't drive. I was very reliant on other people to help me, which was very good for me. Um, I was newly single, a single mom. I was really, it was time of, of great rebuilding. And really, you know, I went back to work for the first time in, I don't know, 12 years since my, before my daughter was born. And um, what I found that happened was that right about the time I got my license back and was very grateful to have a lot of the major losses kind of wreckage to be ironing itself out. Um, I got a terrific job at a terrific company that was going to be 20 hours a week and a punch in punch out kind of get well job. And, um, within three months I had taken a promotion there and was working full time. And I was kind of doing my world domination thing where I'm taking care of two kids and I'm working full time and I have a foot in the recovery advocacy world and I was doing my jewelry and I was turning very slowly but steadily turning the volume up again on all of the things that kind of keep me busy, almost manically busy. Mm-hmm. And I call it now my, my regulation problem. I just have a <laughs> surprisingly, unsurprisingly, I have a hard time doing anything in moderation, even things that are good for me and even things that on the surface seem to be really healthy and productive. And um, so about six months, maybe seven months into that new job and um, getting adjusted, the the kids having two different households and, you know, the pace was just absolutely insane. I, I pretty much found myself having a complete and total nervous breakdown, even in sobriety. I mean, it was an absolute wheels coming off the bus. My anxiety and depression were through the roof. Um, I, I couldn't function. I just woke up one day and I didn't even call work. I didn't get out of bed. I didn't go to work. I've never, even in the worst of my um, alcoholism, experienced anything where I basically just shut everything down like that and mm-hmm. kind of curled into the fetal position and felt very sorry for myself and thought, I guess I'm somebody who just can't do things. I just can't be part of the world. And it was an incredibly, incredibly scary experience because um, and I was used to, you know, getting sober and rebuilding my life and working on relationships and meditation and spirituality and sobriety. I mean, I had done so much work on myself. So why am I curled up position at two o'clock in the morning, unable to function? I mean, it was just really, really um, 
oh, I don't know, it was just very discouraging and depressing and, and really almost hopeless at the time. So yeah. that would have been in like March of this year. And I have an incredible network of friends, as you all know, and they never let me stray too far in any direction from um, my own kind of self-destructive tendencies. And so they got me um, hooked up with a great program, and I really had to look at my um, mental health issues, anxiety being number one and depression as a piece of that. And I left the job, and I checked out of all the other things I was doing to kind of keep busier than I needed to be. And um I had to sort of surrender to mental health issues just like I had to surrender to addiction. Um, I spoke with a mental health professional who literally put one hand on either side of my cheeks and looked me right in the face. And she said, honey, if you can't get your mental health issues in order, you know, they're two sides of the same coin, mental health and addiction. One's just going to keep feeding the other and it's either going to feed it in a negative way or a positive way, but they're two sides of the same coin. Wow. I, you know, I've been struggling with both for so long. I don't even, they're just sort of how I felt. I felt anxious a lot, but maybe I'm just an anxious person or I, you know, I, I did not really understand that this was something that I had to address, not just medically, but um, in the way that I conduct my everyday life. And so I did it again. I really pulled back. I sort of unplugged from a lot of things and took some really quiet, introspective time, did a lot of work on myself. I went to a partial hospitalization program that's an outpatient basis at a local um, counseling facility that dealt with both mental health and addiction. And I took another course after that that was another sort of outpatient course that really kind of helped me understand how these two, you know, lifelong chronic conditions need to be managed and dealt with. And um, I, I mean, it's I can go on and on about all these different details, but one of the things that I finally realized, and it was a really, really difficult decision for me to make, is that, you know, I need to be on as stable a footing as I possibly can be if I'm going to be out in the world working with uh, people in recovery or recovery advocacy or even beloved things like the bubble hour, which I adore. It's my baby and I love it dearly, but <laughs> it is still a distraction in some ways from me really focusing on myself and until I fully understand um, my own journey to the best of my ability, I'll never fully understand it, but until I feel like I've really taken some sacred time to, you know, get to know me and who I am today and all the changes that have happened to me over the last three or four years, um, it's really an inward, it's an inward journey for now. And so taking some time away from the bubble hour was a piece of that as well as making recovery and self-care and my kids and family absolutely my number one priority, which is something I don't really do well. I'm pretty comfortable at the bottom of the pile. I kind of like there. So <laughs> putting myself first has been a challenge, but it's really, really paid off. And, um, you know, that's about a year ago now that that, that major uh, crash happened. And I've said this before on the show, but it's amazing how, um, you know, I've, if somebody showed me a picture today of what my life looks like back then at the end of March of last year, I wouldn't have believed it. I mean, I, I've learned over and over, I can be in really hopeless, low despairing places and there's always something that can be changed. There's always something that can be looked at. And all I have to do is ask the right people for help and let them help me. And, you know, that, that every single time these things happen, I learn something really valuable about myself and my recovery and my mental health and my family. Um, so it's, you know, I don't really 
have any regrets or it's been a really tough journey, but each, each thing, each time these things have occurred, I have honestly come out um, sort of a more whole, more grounded, more authentic person. So I'm very grateful for where I am today. Uh, I'm grateful too that you, that you went in the direction that you did, that you, I, I sometimes wonder Ellie, if all of these conversations that we've had with all of the amazing people that have been on this show, um, we learn something every time. And I, I had quite a go around oh, this absolutely. fall with anxiety myself. And I, I recognized it pretty quickly. Um, I, I was, I, I, it didn't get quite as debilitating as what you experienced, but I, I definitely um, was feeling pretty bad. And I, I, for the first time in my life was able to just phone a doctor and just go and call yeah. it anxiety and say like, I'm listen, I'm, I'm not well and I need some help. And I would have never done that before. And I honestly think it's because of all the storytelling that we hear here on this show that bit by bit, I built the courage to do the right thing for myself by hearing other people tell their stories. Do you feel like, your involvement here impacted your ability to reach out or accept help when it was offered to you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's no question. I mean, I think it's kind of human nature and it's certainly something that I struggle with. It's, I need to hear things or witness things over and over and over again to really get the message. And even then sometimes I have a really hard time applying it to myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, even in that sort of fetal position, two o'clock in the morning moment that I described, I hear the voices of the people that I've known who've been on the show that I've known in person. And I know people come back from those things, but I also yeah. know they don't come back from them alone. And I can right. hear my own words echoing in my head over and over again. <laughs> like, why do you have such a hard time treating yourself the way you do other people? Like you're not unique. Like this is not a head scratcher that you're suffering right. because you're doing it totally alone and you're trying to think your way out of a disease looking using the same organ that got you into the trouble in the first place like I <laughs> you know but without the force of all of those brave stories I mean abs- I would just I would sort of dissolve into my own terminal uniqueness I mean I wouldn't yeah understand that I'm far from alone and all these things that I struggle with so and that phone call that you described that's a hard that's a hard thing to do mm-hmm. so yeah you know good on it us is, for but it was- doing it I suppose <laughs> Well, I'm, I mean, everything else I've tried up till now hasn't worked, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I usually have to get to that uh, point before the phone is used. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I was like, well, I can't go back to drink again. A, it didn't work, and B, it's not it going to yeah. be good. And yeah. Um, yeah, you know, like I, I don't want to eat a tub of ice cream and like just all the things I used to do. I'm like, you know, they don't work. I figured that out now. Yep. And yep. Uh, let's let's try something we haven't tried before. <laughs> Um, right or and just like that moment of surrender that I described too like I I it's not that I need a label to come to terms with something I don't even think that I'm putting myself into any specific category but it was that moment of I can't do this anymore I can't I can't I don't even know what the this is yet can somebody please tell me what the this is I just can't do it whatever it is and becoming more porous and allowing people into my life who can say, I've seen this a thousand times and I know what you need to do and you're going to be okay. Like that's what I needed to hear. And that whole process you describe of just adding more and more and more to your plate, you tried to set up 
you know, a moderate amount of work and activity and blah, 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 but you just keep taking on more. And that, I totally understand that. And one time on this show, you said, you know, I love zero and I love 10, but I really suck at five. And yep. that's just <laughs> gone through my mind so many times. It's like five is okay. And he, I, I think that I have judged people that, that are okay with five is sort of being like, um, you know, okay with mediocrity or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of very being good with about it. Yep. Yeah. And, and so yep. sometimes the, the voices, the critical voices we have towards ourselves are, are things we've been guilty of, you know, using against other people. Um, oh, so absolutely. I, yeah. I, I should recognize that, that I tend to do way too much because um, I, I want to ward off criticism. I think it's my gut instinct is like, if I'm moving at the speed of light, you can't catch me to, to criticize me, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Can't hit yeah, me. My therapist actually, and, she gave me a terminology that I've latched onto about that phenomenon. She says, I have a manic defense. Oh, and I'm writing that well down. fully understand all of that, but it basically is. And so my depression can actually look a lot like mania. Yeah, um, but it certainly is. It's a defense against emotions I hate, like anger. God, I had a lot yeah. of anger that, and I was stomping around telling everybody how okay I was and how, <laughs> you know, I'm a bigger person and I'm not angry. And wow, I was really pissed off. I'm and fine. What's this, your problem? And I was, uh, exactly. What I don't I look okay? Look at all the things I'm doing. Like just don't ask. Don't peek behind the curtain. And if I'm moving at the speed of light, no one's gonna question if I'm okay or not. And I. You know, that's that. That something I've, I've really taken to heart because that, that, again, that sort of terminology, that explanation of, oh, that's what I'm, what I'm doing. I'm trying to run so fast that I don't have to stop and think and no one's going to ask me anything. So manic and, defense, that's a really interesting phrase. Is that like an actual, you know, thing? Like is that, did she give you tools to deal with that? What did you learn about that? Well, it's, I don't know if it's an actual diagnosable term or anything. Um, probably is. She's really smart, and she's been doing that therapy thing a long time. Um, and one of the things that I am doing, I haven't started it yet, but I'm really curious about it. I'm doing a DBT course, which I think stands for Dialectical Behavior Therapy. I've probably oh, got yeah. that wrong. Yeah. But it has no, no, four I, great course. Component, components to it. It deals with things like impulse. It deals with things like regulation and control and um, a lot of mindfulness work in it. A lot of, I mean, it really, it, it's it's boots on the ground stuff. It doesn't really care how you got to where you are. It's just sort of helping you understand what to do with, you know, sort of CBT, the cognitive behavior, behavioral therapy is sort of like that, you know, slicing up thought behavior or what is it? Thought, feeling, action, like trying to help people dice up that just because you have a thought or a feeling right. doesn't mean you have to have a certain action and putting some right. stop gaps in between that cycle. Um, yeah. The DBT also helps you understand more about um, sort of the why, like when you were growing up and in your, even in every stage of your life, you're sort of folding in, you know, paradigms and reasons why we behave certain ways. And that's just sort of hardwired into how we are. And it kind of pulls that apart a little bit and sort of questions like you don't need to have that response to everything that, I mean, I'm giving this, this is a very layman's explanation of DBT. I haven't even started it yet, but it um connecting those dots between feelings and thoughts and behaviors and patterns i mean i i can really step back now at the age of 47 and having had um 
you know, four relapses over nine years of sobriety and mental ups and downs, I can see very clear patterns emerging, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. trying to take time off and taking time for myself and really focusing on self-care and then slowly starting to plug back in. And then all of a sudden I'm in the stratosphere again. That's a very clear pattern that I've done over a number of years. And DBT helps you sort of examine those and develop tools to deal with them in real time. Now, I have a friend, actually, who was on the show last year, uh, Michelle is her name, and she did an episode about um, borderline personality disorder, which uh, she is a treated borderline, and so she, she, her borderline personality disorder is treated with DBT, and her explanation yep. of dialectic behavior uh, therapy is that for her... Um, people with borderline tend to see things as like good or bad, black or white, this or that. Mm-hmm. So I either love you or I hate you. And, yeah. and um, you're either like with me or without me kind of thing. And so DBT helps yep. her see the spectrum of gray that's in between the black and white and has taught her to learn and live in the gray because that's where emotional self-regulation comes in. And Exactly. Um, yep. It's a, like it is a really powerful tool, and I mean, it's. I, I was just thinking today. I didn't. I didn't know you were going to mention that. I didn't know you were doing that treatment. I didn't either. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was just thinking today what it, um, that Buddha and the borderline, and um, that that, and that, and, and not to imply Ellie that you're dealing with borderline, but it, it talks about DBT, and um, yeah. I was thinking today, like, gosh, I I should do something with that to share that knowledge with people because so many people could benefit from dbt because just like you said i think there's a lot of us that struggle with alcoholism or addiction or mm-hmm. the ism which is an outcropping yep. of that attempt to self-regulate through some faulty means and um absolutely think, yeah yeah i'm really excited a lot of for roads that can lead for the need to it i think and a lot of it yeah. does revolve around things like you know impulse control and regulation and things like that i mean there's you know i think everybody can identify with that to a certain degree and there's dbt trained therapists that are they go to school yeah. or take classes and courses in, in this particular school of thought and uh we and they and you can also the the cool thing i think this is done for every dbt session it's a long a six to ten month thing that you do once a week or twice a week um you can you go into it with goals that you tailor why you think you need these modules just for you so everybody could be in the in the session for different reasons but it's very specific goals that you're trying to reach and you know, I love hovering around at, you know, 30,000 feet with awareness, like, oh, I'm aware that that's an issue and that's enough for me. You know, I kind of <laughs> use that to kind of check the box and move on. I, I need help getting pulled down to the ground level and say, aren't you tired of being totally aware that you do this and then you just keep doing it? Wouldn't you like to maybe change your behavior a little and maybe not have it oh, happen often? Like that's kind of the, that's why I know it's, you know, where I need to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's exciting. Okay, so you've had a hell of a year. You're you're in a good place right now. You're I checking am. all the boxes of self care, and so just give me a little bit of a look of what recovery looks like for you. What are you doing to support sobriety in your life right now? Um, it's it's a, an ever changing process. It's kind of it's interesting because I get I get asked that a lot actually by a number of different people and. Um, when I came out of um, the longer-term treatment that I went to in 2014, I, while the whole time protesting that I wasn't doing this, what I was doing was kind of picking and choosing the parts of recovery that worked for me. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that I, that I was quote unquote willing to do. And it, you know, I stayed sober and I, I kind of, I was able to not drink. Um, but again, it didn't help me sort of de- delve, even understand that there was a need to go a little bit deeper on a lot of these things that we've just talked about. Um, but after my breakdown in March, I basically let go of anything that I had, any thoughts I had about anything, whether it came to recovery or mental health or, or you know, sort of any self-managed plan of recovery. Um, and so I went for a while, I went way back to basics. And yeah. for me, I'm, I participate in a 12-step program. And so that for me meant going to a recovery meeting every day for 90 days. And I actually pushed that a little bit longer than that. Um, I got a sponsor who I talked to every single morning at eight o'clock and I bear in mind, I didn't want to do any of these things at all, I didn't, <laughs> but I was purposely picking things that I really and truly did not want to do. Um, and I, I really, even 90 days, six months into that sort of regimen, I still didn't like doing it, but I was reaping the benefits of doing something uncomfortable and hard. Um, yeah. I resisted a lot of things for me. Self-care looks a lot like not doing things. So in addition to the actual sort of more organized 12-step recovery program, um, I let go. Uh, I mean, I left the, the job, um, which was very hard. It was an amazing company and an amazing job. And I was tapped on all of my skill sets. It was a really, really hard thing to, to decide not to do that. I stepped away from – I haven't blogged in a year. I stepped away from all of that. I stepped away from the bubble hour. I stepped away from my jewelry business. Um, and I practiced being still. I mean, it's for me, that's a practice. It's really, really hard for me to just be still, focus on myself and my kids. Um, my kids are, you know, they're 14 and 11 now, which is amazing to me. But wow. they, they have a lot going on. You have two middle schoolers. There's a whole lot of moving parts. I mean, you've got two households <laughs> and divorced parents. I mean, I, now I look at it, I think, how did I work full time and do all those other things and do this? I don't know how I did all of that. Um, so not getting, you know, being very, very, very mindful about the next thing I do for quote unquote work. I mean, I feel like all I do is work, but I'm not for employment. I should say, um, I exercise regularly. Uh, that's to me is the best anxiety cure out there. Honest to God, when I get away from it, I start to struggle and I don't have to be a marathon runner. I tend to think, oh, if I'm going to run, I'm going to run every day. And I'm going to go four miles and I'm going to, no, I just have to walk for 20 minutes every day. That's all I have to do. <laughs> um, now, now in the winter, I got really, really sluggish. So I recently joined, joined a gym and just, if I do a 30 minute weightlifting circuit and walk for 20 minutes on the treadmill, I throw myself a little parade. Um, so exercise and therapy once a week with a counselor and I'm working with um, somebody who's prescribing me safe medication, non-addictive safe medication. I check in with them regularly. And I also have started to, un, uh, you know, sort of flip over some of the rocks that I was avoiding that were contributing to my anxiety. Like I avoided going to, I'm a cancer survivor and I avoided going to any kind of follow-up for almost two years for that because I just was scared. I didn't want right. to go or not go. I just, sort of pretended like the whole thing never happened. Right. And I didn't realize that how much the not knowing was fueling. It's kind of like the gas to the engine of anxiety. Yeah. Put my big girl pants on and find a doctor locally that I can go to and no excuses and tackle that. Get get going and make sure that you're 
I'm getting regular checkups for that. And, you know, it's all these things that I've been, that I sort of discounted as contributing to my overall mental health. Um, I'm addressing them slowly and carefully with a lot of support. And um, I'm in an unbelievable new relationship with a guy in recovery and that's going extremely well. Um, It's amazing the difference between being with somebody who totally gets how my brain works and somebody who tried his best but didn't in my marriage. (laughs) So I'm very, very careful who I surround myself with in my day-to-day life. I mean, I really only want people that aren't toxic and who are additive to or supportive of me, you know, just to love me as I am, period, end of sentence. And I really cut a lot of um, people out of my life that, you know, to no fault of their own or sometimes to fault of their own, just were not healthy for me. And I realized mm-hmm. I was expending so much energy trying to be okay with those people that the people that are really meaningful in my life are really suffering for it and including myself. So, you know, a I, lot of I, cutting things out, not really adding things on. Right. And that, there's sort of that perspective of like releasing those relationships that don't serve us well anymore of just like releasing with gratitude instead of like yeah. you know burning bridges and <laughs> blowing up relationships and just like yeah Thank you. This doesn't yeah. Serve me anymore. like I'm going to release this and free them and, free and with compassion on yourself and yeah 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 and good. I like that, that idea too because I was I was scrambling madly for forgiveness you know, this right. sort of elusive concept of forgiveness and that somehow it was going to set me free from all the things that I was grappling with. And it, forgiveness for me had way too much to do with the other person. I couldn't really just do it in a vacuum. So just right. acceptance, letting go, you know, again, be still and accept it. That's kind of where I've found a lot of my healing mm. is like stopping the struggle of trying to, um, I don't know, control everything, which was what I was doing before. <laughs> it's a lot easier oh, when I, so when I let it go. <laughs> I'm sitting here laughing as you're talking about stillness and being still because as we were talking before we went on air that I broke my leg skiing last week mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I am under forced stillness for the next six weeks and um, I'm pretty much okay Hard. with it, but I posted on my blog a picture of the staircase in this house we're renting while we we're building a new house right now. So we're in this temporary home that was really chic and, and fantastic when I had two functioning legs, but suddenly living in a four level home is a nightmare and (laughs) everything is hard and I'm not sick. You know, I have no complaints. My husband has been super good, but wow. I just like, I, I can't, even though my office is at home and I could just sit in my pajama pants all day with my foot on a pillow and work at my desk, I can't do that. My body won't let me do that. And I have to go and lay down every, you know, 40 minutes at the most, at the least. I mean, so I'll tell you, like stillness is like, that would have been torture to me had I not gotten to the place where I could just tolerate stillness with myself or tolerate. Um, it's a practice. It is. It is not something that it's, it's not just the absence of motion. I mean, it really yeah. is something that is hard for, and, and I mean, I don't, I, I always want to punch people who say this, but it's always, always kind of true. Like the sort of messages from the universe that when things like that happen, I mean, that's why acceptance is so important. Sit around with a cast on your leg, wishing that things were different is six weeks of absolute suffering. But yeah. you cast on your leg and practice stillness and 
you know, sort of lean into the limitations and maybe watch a little more TV or indulge in more tea or something. I mean, that there's, it's, it's that practice of I'm the only one who can control how I metabolize the experiences that happen to me. I mean, totally. that's kind of what mindfulness and stillness looks like for me. Not that everything's not chaotic or not the way that I want it, but it's, it's, it's just letting it plunk into my lap in exactly the shape that it's in and not trying to fight against it, whatever it is. But now, Ellie, it's hard. I, I would have, I'm really it, sorry you broke your leg. I really am. It's terrible. <laughs> Me too. Now, I, I would say, though, that in the past, I would have gotten, like, really hung up on what will people think? Like I would have really wanted the world to miss me as I took a month off with my leg up in the air. And, and I also would have had to make some noise about like, you know, all the things I was doing despite it and da da da. Like I, I would have really yeah. rubbed hard against being needed and necessary and important and the, the optics of not mm. being busy and the, you know, like did, did you yep. struggle with any of that? Oh boy, it's so interesting that you bring this up because I um, was just, I was having a long conversation the last few days with my boyfriend about this and I talked to my therapist about it a lot too that, um, you know, I started a blog in like 2008 and I kept it for years and years and years and, and um, that Facebook memories function, like three years ago today, you posted this, that pops up on my feed all the time and oh. these days it's a lot of <laughs> posts about when it's just... It's, a, it's very bittersweet for me because I like I was posting a lot three years ago and I was, you know, when I was going through cancer or when I was, one came up that was talking about, I was talking about my marriage in 2010 and how, you know, I'm a straight, he's a straight line and I'm a scribble and together we're wavy and the result, I mean, there's, there's like really, there's vulnerability woven into a lot of my writing and not if it's an outright lie. I mean, I was being as honest as I knew how to be. Right. But yeah. what I noticed is this this propensity I had to just put this sort of hopeful, sort of messagey flourish. Yeah. And the person yeah. I'm talking to is me, really. I mean, I, you know, I ended that post about my marriage, which was, I, I couldn't see how much trouble it was in. I couldn't see that those differences that I was trying to put this nice little spin on were going to rip us apart, like, really horribly. And it, it was that, it's it's because there was always some sort of, audience in my head like I can't you know I felt this kind of weird subconscious responsibility to be hopeful right and inspiring and um but not inauthentic per se because I was doing the best I could with what I had right there was so much I hadn't looked at it so much I didn't know and so much denial about things that were truly painful um so this is kind of a sideways answer to your question but I I mean I I think that it's one of the reasons I've pulled back from all of that because yeah. the invisible eyes that may or may not be watching, let's be honest. I mean, I don't really, you can, we can look at stats and we can see what things are doing and that's all, you know, that's all interesting, but it, there, it was in my head, you know, it was, yeah. it was weaving its, in, its way through my truth in a yeah. way that I couldn't pull them apart. And yeah. Um, yeah. so I've, I've stopped a lot, even just forget about being a blogger or a podcast host or something. I mean, I'm very limited on Facebook now and I'm, I mean, I really have very limited interaction on social media because it's it gets it gets to me in ways that I can't fully understand until I'm caught up in it. Uh, well, I think it pulls you into that reflective self that it's okay to be in your reflective self sometimes, but you can't be there all the time. I mean, you have to be pre-reflective <laughs> other times, you know? Right, we, right, children right. are so fun to watch because they're completely... I mean, I'm, uh, I'm remembering from university the terms pre-reflective and reflective, but 
I can't remember who the philosopher was that discussed the pre-reflective cogito or whatever, but I do remember yeah, those yeah. words and, and how I remember being taught at the time what the difference was and the awareness has stayed with me of the difference, but obviously not the lesson until later in life <laughs> that I was spending. Yeah. Much and those lessons evolve and change. I mean, I, yeah. I can see a rock in the road and I can, I don't tend to not step around it until I stub my toe a couple of times. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's very hard to in the in the things that I don't know. It's a, it's it's such an evolution. It's not a finishing line. These things that we struggle with. I uh, don't you think too that that I mean we everybody gets caught in that thing where we're having fun and we're sort of without realizing it, writing the Facebook status to go with that moment, you know, <laughs> as we're yeah. doing it. it. Mentally, as it's happening, I was doing that with yeah. blog posts for sure. Yeah, yep. and then I'm yep. like, How is what the hell? Get in this moment. Be here now. Be here now. And just yeah. do what you're doing. Yeah. And um, so so um, I'm curious as what you're doing for creative outlet, because if you're not writing, podcasting, making jewelry, are you feeding your creative soul somehow or – um, is that well, on hold? not not as much as I'd as I'd like to be. I'm a little afraid of it, to be honest. I um, I have I, for a while. I haven't been doing it recently, but for a while I was doing some sort of writing just for me, you know. But I I still felt that pull so much, like oh, this would be an interesting book, or this would be an interesting blog post, or this would be. And it's it's starting to die down. But I would hear too frequently, "Where's that? When's that book coming? Or why aren't you blogging?" Like they're like until that is totally still both in my mind and like around me. I mean, I've really had to sort of put that off to the side. Um, I was making some jewelry just for fun, but I felt the itch to to make money with it. Like the things, what I'm, I think what I'm on now is a search for the, a new thing. Like that Ooh. I hope will sort of come come to me, um, or enough stillness with the things I was doing that I can have it served me the way it did when I first started that it was sort of healing to my spirit and myself without having to be something that other people bore witness to you know I mean I I don't really know what that looks mm-hmm. like yet um right so I you know I have you done those coloring <laughs> books have you tried those I those, have done um, some of the coloring books I'm like a big crossword <laughs> puzzle person and I you know I love what binge watching television does that count as a creative outlet <laughs> I have found other ways to turn my brain off that are healthy. You know, like what I loved about the jewelry when it started was that my mind would just sort of go into this sort of white noise space and I didn't have the crazy, you know, obsessive thinking. And the same thing with writing. It used to be something that was very peaceful for me because I love things that help my brain go into a still space that that are healthy for me. Exercise does that for me. Um, yeah, but those now that, that those things have I, I, it's still too fresh, I think, for me to be able to do them without sort of overthinking what I'm gonna what am I gonna do with this? It's right. Hard to, oh, I understand. To figure that, that out. So, so it's um well, and I'm I have to say, you know, I'm I'm also very busy with my my family with my kids. I mean, yeah. I'm yeah. There's there's a lot of needs there that that I am I really am grateful to be able to address and be present for and. Um, so if the end of the day I need to binge watch the shield or whatever I need to do to be able to turn my brain off, that's kind of, kind of my priority. It's not very ambitious, yeah, but yeah. I think the opposite of ambition is what I'm really striking to struggling to achieve right now. Well, your kids are at an age too that, I mean, it's, it's that stage where it's, they're gone so fast into 
you know, adult years that yeah. they start driving and you see them so much less. And, um, yeah, well, and bigger kids, bigger problems. I, know, I and, remember you know, I have two sons that are in their twenties now. Hello. Hello. Hey, are you still there, Ellie? I'm still here. Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me? Oh, things went crazy for Yeah. I think so. Okay. Are you still talking? There. I'm, I'm okay. still here. I think I have you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what would Bubble Hour be without a little Our, technical glitch? Oh, hey, we're, I'm on one side of Canada. You're on the other side of the U.S. I mean, you know, things go we're a little wonky right. every once yep. in a while between yeah. us. Um, what going to say is that kids at that age, I found with my boys, was that they – sort of they need you when they need you, but when they don't need you, they would like it if you could just kind of be invisible and just like, you know, show up with a sandwich. Don't make a big show of it. Set it on the table and back out of the room. But you know, they, it's, it's a really tricky age where it's easy to think, Oh, my kids are independent and they don't need me. But when they need you, they don't, they really need you. You kind of got to be there. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's a kind of time of life where, um, it's it's really great for them if you can you know be there and have that willingness to to be available for them it's it's really great yeah and um, i've i've recently discovered too it's not just a physical availability it's an emotional availability like i need to recharge my batteries constantly to be able to emotionally be there for them in ways that don't overwhelm me i get very overwhelmed pretty easily right. See, that's got to surprise our listeners to hear you say that because your voice is like so calm and soothing. And when I was in early sobriety and walking my dog for three hours a day listening to you on this podcast and I didn't know you, like your voice was just so warm and wise. And, uh, you know, I would have never guessed that you had anxiety at all or that you struggled at all. You just sound so calm and well, I hear that. I, I hear that like, a lot, and it's something I told myself too. I mean, I'm not. It's it's <laughs> what I'm what I'm learning about anxiety. I mean, lifelong, really bad anxiety. Like when I was seven or eight or nine, I can remember having stomach aches that wouldn't go away, and my parents couldn't leave me alone in a room. I'd I'd have panic attacks. I mean, nobody really knew what they were way back then in the dark ages. Yeah. But um, right, I I developed that ability to appear calm and to you know it's the outward the outsides didn't match the insides like for my whole life it just, it right. just wasn't the way it was because I, I just that's an adaptation that I made and so right. and even even in sobriety for years in sobriety that sort of there's always a low level anxiety going on that I just was normal to me I didn't even understand that there was an alternative that I didn't have to live with that right I didn't know I was channeling <laughs> it into these other manic defenses or whatever it was I was doing but you know since really tackling that head on um and I, but I'm just also uh, because I'm um not somebody who likes unpredictable emotion you know I tend to try to be pretty regulated in my outward emotion because I don't like that kind of emotional unpredictability in other people so it's something that I work mm-hmm. really hard yeah. on in myself like if I if I could fly off the handle at somebody my therapist would like give me a gold medal she'd be like <laughs> if I could just really lose my shit on someone, she'd be like, "You go, like that's great, You're, you know." Um, because I, that's part of the way that I have historically kind of moderated my own anxiety is to make sure it doesn't seep through. 
but it's certainly there. Hey, so what does that feel like for you? Like for me, I like if someone upsets me, I kind of go like deer in the headlights and numb and it, and, and I'll be like, Oh, everything's okay. It's all cool. But then I'll go away and get really upset. Do you feel upset in the moment and cover it? Or do you put it on pause and feel it later? It's changing for me for a long time. The way it started was I'd feel upset or hurt or angry or something. And there'd be a split second where I might feel it, but then it would just go to this place where I don't, I call it, I called it my hollow leg of bad feelings. Like I honestly had no idea that it was even in there at all. Like I wouldn't get resentful later or stew on it. I just didn't even cope with it at all. So it was kind of invisible to me. And then after longer term treatment, when I started to talk, you know, do a little bit of the CBT work and, sort of try to connect my feelings and my thoughts and, you know, try to connect the dots a little bit better. I would have a delayed response like you just described where I'd freeze or people please or change the subject, distract. I would do anything to avoid anything that felt at all uncomfortable or awkward or contentious. Um, Sort of like try to hit the pause button and then it would come out sideways later in other ways. Um, Mm -hmm. But after doing the work that I've been doing for almost the past year, it's finally starting to get to the point where the emotion and the reaction, whether it's outward or inward, are simultaneous. You know, somebody makes me angry and I can, I feel the reaction I'm having. I have the immediate identification. I can say, that's anger. Like, and I, and I can take a couple of deep breaths and decide this is something I need to deal with it now. Do I need to deal with it later? Usually the answer is I need to deal with it later because sometimes I, I still have sort of disproportionate responses to things. Um, <laughs> so I try to run it by somebody else, like real or not real. Like, is this something I should be mad about or not mad about? Like, that's still sort of a work in progress for me. Was I actually hurt yeah. or am I just perceiving that I was like, I don't really, the reality of it is sort of slow to kind of gel with me. Um, but yeah. I'm surprising myself more and more with my inability to, you know, fake a response. Or fake a non-response, like it's becoming more kind of real time for me. Um, it's also that's coming like, with the acknowledgement huge. that other people have. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's a huge breakthrough, and to be able to also realize that you know this person in my life legitimately hurt me, and I have every right to be hurt. Right. I have every right to be angry. I'll decide how long it, I, it owns me, but that that's a legitimate response to being hurt is feeling hurt. You know, I just, I just, the whole disconnect between my experiences and my reactions, it's been a long, long journey to make those things match. And I still like, you know, if a cashier is rude to me, I'm never going to be the person who's like who I am. You know, I'll always be like, have a nice day and get in my car and be like, wow, she was a rare, you know, I'll sort of mutter to myself when smaller (laughs) interactions like that happen. But I definitely do not let people have any kind of long-term contact with me or any contact with me if there's somebody who's hurting me and I can finally figure out who those people are. I couldn't for a long mm-hmm. time. Does that You're honoring sense? yourself. Kind of a long-winded answer to what you asked, but. Yeah, no, that, that makes, that makes good sense. And if you could just patent a, um, a system to, for the rest of us to learn <laughs> to do that in two easy steps, uh, you would be very Wouldn't rich that be nice? and you could yeah, retire. I could turn it into a business and we could take over the world, Dean. We could do it. I'm telling you. Yes. <laughs> People fast I could do that. You and me. <laughs> oh, knee jerk. Knee jerk. So yeah. um, we only yeah. have a few minutes left and there's a, a question that uh, I, I get asked a lot that I will let you answer. 
And that question is, are you coming back to the bubble hour? You sort of answered it indirectly, but uh, are you coming back to the show? Well, I will answer that by saying I will be, I'm an avid fan and listener. I think what you are doing with the show is absolutely amazing. And um, I'm beyond grateful that you are able to carry the flag and do such an unbelievable job with the show because it would be really, really heartbreaking to me if, if, you know, my own um, need to step away for a while is would, would put this, put the show to bed. So thank you, first of all, for all the hard work you're doing. You're amazing. And I'm just so grateful for that. And I would be happy to be a guest on the show anytime you wanted me or needed me. I'm certainly um, would love to be able to do that in the future. And then sort of letting the, universe decide how things unfold and see what's right and when but I uh, um, certainly am always going to be a huge fan and here anytime you need me for anything but um, right now you're doing a terrific job and so it's in your very capable hands <laughs> ah, thank you I uh, I feel really fortunate to be able to do it and, and I think one thing that we talked about um, last year when we were all trying to figure out what we're doing next was, was we had to sort of say like, we need to know when the show has run its course and when, you mm-hmm. know, when it's time for us all to let it go. And um, yeah. I'm really loving being, you know, running with this right now. And, and hopefully when it's time, the universe will, will let us know when it's time to make a change. But I, I have to say that um, that the number of listeners um, is up to almost eighty thousand a month. Oh, and a month! That we were is really excited, we hit, isn't it? So when we hit forty thousand, that was just at the end when all four of us were still on the show: Amanda, yourself, Catherine, and me, Jean. And uh, we got to forty thousand, and we were our minds were blown because that's one download per minute, twenty four hours a day. So that's kind yeah. of an important number, and. Um, now that that's doubled to 80, I just think, you know, people have really caught oh, on to yeah. advocacy oh, so and, and uh, podcasts. And like, yeah, it's just, it's so amazing. And, and the funny thing is that, that it's all volunteer. Um, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it just, I don't know. I just think that that is the coolest part of all is that, you know, we could get crazy and say like, Oh, we're going to, sell ads and syndicate and da 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 but really it's that's the most beautiful part of it of all is that we're just capturing some honest conversations and offering them out as service and um and that it helps tens of thousands of people is just it's beautiful it's such it's a great community amazing to and me. It's, it's it's developed so organically and so naturally maybe that's part of the beauty of of the show and why people are drawn to it i can't pretend to understand how that many people are listening but um, if there is ever a testament to the fact that, or testimony to the fact that you know we're not alone and that people really do understand how each other, how we feel, I mean that's it right there. There's there's so many people yeah. who are like-minded and curious and thinking about you know just making a connection in some way, and that's just that's that's unbelievable to me. It really is so so cool. Yeah. And that it lives forever well, on the internet. Look who she started. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Interestingly, this is, I have a theory. I have a theory that all of our liabilities are just our assets, like dialed way up, you know, like 
you know, being, <laughs> being nice is great, but people pleasing isn't being, you know, loyal is great, but codependent isn't like you take all the things that I am and you dial them all the way up and they become liabilities. Well, you know, being impulsive has served me in many different ways, but the whole idea for the bubble hour <laughs> came at like 10 o'clock at night on a random Tuesday. And, you know, by Saturday I had a nonprofit in the works and, uh, you know, I, I don't do anything <laughs> small, but I never do those things with any kind of an end game in sight. It's just, I have the idea and I want to do it and I want to see where it goes. And, right. I just, and then I sort of like, but the details aren't, I'm not good with that. I sort of let it off into the universe to see what, what happens. And um, this was not at all in the cards when I impulsively did all of this. And um, so I'm just grateful that we've tapped into something that is helping so many people. And, and it has helped me enormously. Yeah, I mean, I think I just kind of, I want to underscore the reason I'm, stepping away for a bit is not because it has not been helpful or it's been detrimental to me in any way. It's just a, you know, I'm in a sacred personal space right now. And um, I've listened to past episodes when I'm going through tough times and heard other people's words and it's helped me enormously. So it's, it's uh, certainly been additive in my life all the way around. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really cool to hear because you've helped so many people and um I'm I'm hoping that maybe I'll have you back a couple times this year since you've said you'll come back whenever I want. I'd love to. Um, you know, Absolutely. are you busy tomorrow at noon? No, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, maybe we can check in with you quarterly or something and get your thoughts on. Yeah, on, um, that would be really nice. Where you're at? Maybe we could we could uh, rope you in for that because I know everyone really misses your voice and I know that. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, That's I could great. talk to you a couple times a um, year too. That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, no kidding. Catch up. And I, I should tell you as well, I'm hoping I almost had Lisa on. So Lisa, you know, our listeners will remember Lisa from early, early episodes, our sweet Southern Belle. And um, oh, she yeah. had something come up that took her away from, um, took up her free time for a while. So I'm hoping to get her back to do an episode this year. Amanda has said she would come and give us an update. And um, and I'm sure Catherine will awesome. too. So. Yeah, we'll stay in touch with oh, everybody. Yeah. 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 We never stray very far from each other, even though you may not hear us together on the airwaves. There's there's a kind of very strong connection with all of us and so anytime we can bring that to the to the bubble hour, we love to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really special and um it's I guess we kind of would we would do our recording, you know, we used to do it Sunday nights and we would have our conversation for an hour and then you know, we didn't really think about the way that it impacted anyone else. Um, we knew that people mm. were listening and stuff, but I think now with just with the amount of time that's gone by and sort of looking at the project as a whole and it's all, um, I think there's 200 episodes on blog talk radio now, the bubble hour, and this is 201. And um, wow. the impact of that and, and, community that sort of come together as a part of it the people that have been on the show like I've been at retreats where there's been like you know a handful of women that listen to the show and and we're like they're like oh I know your voice like as soon as I walked in which is really (laughs) cool because I got to (laughs) hug these women who were like you know listening and 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 then since been on the show a lot of them too and and just to just to make that connection and hear like you know, how it affected them and get their feedback on the show. And like, I don't know, I just, it's, it's so beautiful. And we really now can see like the, 
the big group hug that is the bubble hour that, you know, the people yeah, that we haven't really, met yet that are listening. Like, I, I really hope we all get to meet at some point all 80,000 plus listeners. Oh, wouldn't that be a bubble hour retreat? That's, yeah. 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 That would be pretty yeah. cool. But I'm we'll not allowed to do it, them, but so. it's a really good idea. <laughs> you can show up, though, right? Can I can come as a guest. <laughs> but you won't be a keynote. Don't speaker. let me start doing that, Jean. You need to check in to make sure I'm not doing that. Uh, I can really lose myself to that whole project for six months right there. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, I'm sorry I brought it up. No, it's to, okay. we'll get you it's okay. I totally agree. I had a funny moment of, a few months ago. I was at a, a recovery meeting, and I was – stepping outside and uh, out during the break and there were two women like in their twenties and they were talking and they were new to the meeting and they were saying that, that they came because they were listening to this really cool podcast called the bubble hour. And I was just like, Whoa, that's pretty neat. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't didn't know I was standing within four feet of them. I just sort of listened and I thought that's why we do this. We share our stories with each other because you have no idea at what point you're someone's going to hear the right thing at the right time and decide that they're they're worthy of it and and go tap into that community it's pretty cool yeah ah well my dear i told you we'd have no problem talking for an hour without any notes no we never do (laughs) (laughs) so i just want to end by saying you know, thank you for taking care of yourself, for honoring yourself the way that you've encouraged all of us to, to honor our own wellness. And so you're modeling that. And so even even by taking care of yourself, you're still being of service to other people in recovery because you're showing us how it's done and you're standing by it. And oh, so thank you. Really, thank you for, thank you for, for being here that today, though. Oh, I love you so much. So I love I'm you going too, my to, friend. Um, I'm going to sign off in just a second here, but do you have any final words for our listeners before we go I just want to reiterate what I started with was just thank you to everybody who listens who supports us who shares about the show who's brave enough to tell their story on the show who has written into the bubble hour or to me and expressed concern or empathy or anything I mean you guys are really the lifeblood of all of this and so I'm just so grateful to be a part of it in any capacity and feel very very blessed for the entire experience and uh been really great to touch touch base with everyone and hopefully sometime you know in the not too distant future we can we can chat again awesome thanks ellie listeners i'm jean i write the blog unpickled you'll find more about the show there if you're trying to find our website lately it is down we are working on getting it back up again so i won't even tell you what that is never mind the website instead send me an email it is thebubblehour at gmail.com and uh, you'll find my blog at unpickledblog.com. You won't find Ellie on the internet anymore because she's taking a break, <laughs> but we're glad you were here, Ellie. So everybody, uh, take good care, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Jean. Thanks. I own it. I did that. Not proud that that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from power. Weakness head on me. In a dark corner is where shame lies behind. Oh, you think you're strong just cause you keep
person you should talk to is looking at you in there and the one who 